0: All right, so thank you for, uh, for coming today and joining me this afternoon at this session. Uh, today we're going to be coming, covering uh, primary storage for SaaS solutions. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about SaaS, uh, some storage solutions. We're going to cover some uh, partner uh, solutions today. Just as another show of hands, how, how many of you guys here are, are APN partners today? Okay, a good amount. Um, so let's, uh, let's go ahead and dive in so I am presuming if you're in this session you either already have built a SAS or thinking about building a SAS at some point or just interested in SAS in general Uh, so I'm just gonna real quickly breeze by um, you know some reasons uh, you know or some thoughts around uh, why building SAS Uh, so we looked uh, at the IDC survey that was uh, that was recently done um, and they looked at customer demand and preference around uh, SaaS solutions. Uh, so, uh, the first thing they looked at was customers doing uh, SaaS first deployments, right? So, you know, for many years, you, you know, customers have started adopting a cloud first men- mentality, right? Certain customers are going uh, cloud first for new applications. Well, now we're seeing customers also. Uh, doing a SaaS-first uh, approach to selecting new um, uh, new solutions. Uh, some customers also have, in a similar manner, customer uh, company-wide solutions for um, exploring and migrating to SaaS. Uh, in addition, uh, customers are also opportunistically looking at exploring SAS. So looking at exploring SAS when their next license renewal or renewal of an application or they're starting to rebuild or look at a new application uh, to start to go towards SAS. Uh, and then uh, altogether, there's about, um, if you look at those three kind of categories, about 72% of those surveyed here by IDC uh, were considering SAS for their solution. So that's a pretty big. Uh, aspect a large aspect of the market that building a SaaS solution is going to help uh, to satisfy. So now that we kind of briefly looked at you know some of the whys we know it's something customers are looking uh, for you know how to build how do you build the SaaS solution and specifically again we're going to be looking at how to build uh, storage solutions as part of your SaaS solution. So. Many of you have probably heard of or seen the uh, AWS Well-Architected Framework. Uh, it's a basically a um, it's a, a list of best practices that AWS provides to help you build, uh, you know, an application uh, that's going to be uh, great for customers. Uh, there's five pillars involved in the Well-Architected Framework, and they apply to all aspects of your application, but also apply to the storage solutions that you're going to use. Uh, the first is operational excellence. Then we have security, uh, reliability, uh, uh, performance efficiency, um, and cost optimization. Uh, so the key to building you know, a good storage layer SaaS application you know, is to fo- be able to follow these kind of principles. So let's look at you know how you kind of choose the right solution. Uh, so as you guys can imagine, there's not really a one-size-fits-all. It's really about finding balance, right? Finding the right thing that's going to meet what the needs are that you're looking for. So as we look at each of the kind of uh, pillars, uh, you can see that um, you know they have different uh, aspects in terms of storage solutions. Uh, so, like reliability, you know, you want to see if your um, solution is is zonal, global, or regional, and we'll go over what that means in just a minute. Um, you know, in terms of cost optimization, you want to make sure that you're selecting uh, a solution that's going to provide the right value. Uh, you want to make sure you have the right encryption uh, and security as, as part of your solution. So you can uh, make sure, especially a SaaS solution, where you're generally going to have multi-tenancy uh, you know, as part of your solutions and multiple customers' data, that's going to be uh, part of that solution. It's very important to understand how how access control is handled, to understand uh, you know how encryption is handled. Are you using uh, your keys? Are you using a customer-provided keys? Uh, can the service support those things? Uh, you know, performance. You know, are you uh, handling you know performance for a single customer, or you're handling performance for thousands of customers, or tens of thousands of customers? And, of course, operational excellence, which is, you know, are you able to manage, monitor, and respond efficiently to uh, what's happening with your solution? So one of the uh, key benefits to building a SaaS solution on AWS and one of the key considerations you want to take in, in mind when building a solution in AWS uh, is the AWS global infrastructure, right? So AWS currently has 22 geographical regions around the world and 69 availability zones within those regions, and that's continually expanding. So as you're building your solution, you wanna think about where are your customers, right? Where, where are they in relation to these different regions? Do I need to build redundancy across these, uh, these regions? is it redundancy just within a certain uh geographical area is like for instance you know do you want redundancy across east coast and west coast of the united states or do you want redundancy in a worldwide manner so do you want to have your deployment in um you know in u.s west and another deployment in london Uh, all this possible on the aws platform because you don't have to Build, you know, data centers in these various locations. Uh, AWS already provides that global infrastructure, and you can within minutes deploy uh, these solutions across. And we'll look at a little bit about how to do that. Now, again, just a brief look into what an availability zone looks like. Uh, so I mentioned we have, you know, 69 availability zones in those 22 geographical regions. So availability zones is one or more data centers. Uh, that um, provide help customers be able to build uh, reliable solutions. So you can see there's a significant amount of network connection uh, between those uh, various uh, data centers within each of those availability zones. So I'm not sure how easy it is to see there, but you can see like each of the, um, you know, the uh, squares there are the availability zones, and they contain one or more data centers that are interconnected and then connected up to uh transit centers within the uh the region uh there's some good videos online if you look at them if you're interested in kind of deep diving into how these availability zones are set up and how some of these network connections uh look like there's a lot of information uh you know that you can find out uh you know i specifically recommend uh tuesday night live with james hamilton from reinvent a few years ago he kind of dives into some of the interesting points uh on this but i'm sure there's some good sessions even at uh, at this reinvent that you can check out if you're interested so now let's dive into i mentioned before uh you know zonal regional and global uh, services and it's important to understand this when you're building for uh for redundancy and for reliability uh so what is uh, the difference between these uh, these different things. So a single service, uh, you know, can exist either in an availability zone, which again, you know, is one of those uh, locations that are separated, um, you know, from the others. A, a it has a one or more data centers, and it's separated uh, for faults from the other availability zones, right? Um, so uh, when you talk about zonal service, generally a zonal service exists in one of those availability zones. You can deploy different uh, aspects of the service in different availability zones, but there's not redundancy across those availability zones. Uh, so um, if the zone becomes unavailable for whatever reason, uh, then that service or your use of that service or that um, that data that you're storing on that service would become unavailable. Um, then you go up to regional services. So as we talk about regional services, uh, you know we're talking about a service that operates um, in multiple availability zones, right? So it operates. We consider it on the regional level. Um, so th- these kind of services are generally protected against availability zone failure. So if one availability zone uh, becomes unavailable, uh, you know f- for some time, uh, your data is still accessible. Um, then you go to the global services, and these are services that operate across multiple regions. So remember we talked about those geographical regions, 22 geographical regions that are located uh, all around the world. So these kind of services can, uh, are protected and can survive from not only an availability zone being unavailable, but an entire region being unavailable. You still have access to, uh, to your data. So let's just take a look at some of these services uh, that are, you know, zonal versus regional versus global, and this is just to give you, you know, some, uh, you know, some idea of what I'm talking about here. So as you look at, you know, a couple of the uh, core services, uh, you see right at the uh, at the at the beginning in the zonal service category, uh, Amazon Elastic Block Store. Uh, otherwise known as Amazon EBS, and Amazon Elastic Compute Cloud, otherwise known as Amazon EC2. Uh, So those services, uh, when you deploy it, so if you deploy an EC2 instance or you deploy uh, an EBS volume, exists within an availability zone. Uh, Now, you can deploy, uh, for instance, an instance in one availability zone and another instance in another availability zone and set up your own type of replication or other things between those instances but a single EC2 instance only exists in a single availability zone at a given time and a single EBS volume same thing only exists in a single availability zone at a given time so if that availability zone becomes unavailable then your instance or your EBS volume is also going to be unavailable Uh, now you look at uh... regional services like amazon uh... simple storage service and uh... and that service uh... same with uh, amazon uh, uh... s3 glacier uh, that service is a regional service and so you might have heard about uh... amazon s3 and how it's protected across three or more availability zones right so what that means is if an availability zone And there is one exception, which is there's a storage class in Amazon S3 that's called Amazon S3 One Zone IA. Uh, That's the only storage class within Amazon S3 that's, that's zonal. Uh, But all the other storage classes, including all the Glacier storage classes and Glacier Deep Archive, uh, are all regional in nature. So when you store your data on Amazon S3 or Amazon S3 Glacier, uh, it's protected against availability zone failure. So if an availability zone becomes unavailable, your data is still available to your applications. Uh, lastly, you know, global services, right? So we look at, you know, the two that I mentioned here is, uh, is Amazon CloudFront as well as uh, AWS, Identity and Access Management, or, uh, or IAM. So those services exist outside of just a specific region and, uh, you know, exist, you know, across the, uh, across the globe. Now, even if your service by its core nature is, uh, is zonal, uh you can combine it with other services uh to make your application uh, regionally available so if you look at this example um you can kind of design up the stack if you will so this is combining more than one service or it may just be features of a particular service but in this case it's multiple services and we're combining amazon ec2 uh, we're combining elastic load balancing and amazon ec2 auto scaling so we're building uh, Instances that are application that exist on instances across those multiple availability zones So now the application as a whole is protected on a uh, regional level even though the individual Services are zonal in nature, right? So this is going to be important as we start looking at the uh, at the storage services so again, same applies to um, to walking up the stack when it comes to um, going from a uh, a regional service to a uh, global service, right? And as I mentioned, it's not only just combining services; sometimes it's enabling certain features. So in this case, when we're talking about uh, Amazon S3, uh, remember I mentioned Amazon S3 is a regional service. Um, now, if we look at using uh, a feature called cross-region replication within Amazon S3, which enables you to replicate your data from a bucket in one region to a bucket in another region, right? So now your data is actually protected from regional failure, right? So now you, in essence, created uh, your service or your application to be global in nature. So even if you lose an entire region, uh, your data is still accessible to to your customers. So as I mentioned, really, balance is, is what it's all about. Uh, so when you're building that storage layer, you're going to see from your customers, because remember, you're managing a SaaS solution, right? So the customers are not seeing all the internals or how it works. So when you're thinking about like, requirements, the customers may be coming to you and, and saying, you know, hey, I want you know, this to cost you know less right I want this to uh, be very affordable and I want it to be very performant right of course depends on what your particular application is and what it does on what the customer is going to ask for but you know often when I have worked with partners and I'm a uh, partner solution architect so I work with partners on building their solutions on AWS Uh, and when I work with uh, partners you know one thing that I sometimes see partners fall into is they say well, customers aren't really asking for security, right? They're not really talking about security, or they don't really care how our operations run. So I might run through, you know, well-architected review or uh, architectural review with a a partner, and they say, well, customers aren't really asking for those things. I'm just going to focus on making my solution cheaper because that's what customers are asking for, or making it go faster. But I'm not really going to concern about the things on the other side of, uh, of the balance, but you know when you when you think about customers, uh, there's you know what they may be asking for and what they actually expect, right? So customers are not going to ask you to make sure that their data is not stolen or that their uh, data is protected or their data is reliable, you know, or your service is reliable. They're going to expect that, right? <laughs> either, when when you go to get a you know a car, you may say, hey, you know, I want to you know, a car with this feature and that feature and whatever. But, you know, the, the dealer's not going to say, well, you know, no one really asked for wheels or asked for an engine, right? It's kind of an expectation, right? So when, when you're thinking about a SaaS solution and building that for customers, customers are going to expect their data to be secure when it's on that solution. They're going to expect the solution to be reliable. And they're going to expect you to be able to operate it efficiently so that you can provide that level of reliability to the solution. So, how do you find balance? Now, um, there are many ways on the AWS platform uh, to find balance. You know, AWS offers a wide variety of services, over uh, 165 uh, different services. Uh, before we started reinvent, by the time we end reinvent, that number will probably be a lot bigger. <laughs> uh, but. Um, you know, today I want to you know share some storage solutions that are provided by uh, APN partners that can help you get a kind of jump start around this. These are solutions that um, you know we've looked at with partners in terms of you know building them to be to meet these kind of well-architected principles. Uh, so let's get started and look at the first solution. So remember, I talked about combining services in order to. Um, in order to uh, meet those balance requirements, so one of the uh, you know two of the services we're looking at here is Amazon E C two instance storage, which if you guys aren't familiar with what instance storage is, it's basically uh, local storage that's on the E C two instances. So Amazon E B S exists outside the EC2 instances Uh, you know you create volumes and you can attach them to an EC2 instance Uh, but Amazon uh, EC2 instance storage uh, exists on the individual instances so it could be either hard drive or SSD based Uh, in this case um, you know with Weka they're using uh, the SSD based storage that's connected via NVMe Um, so it provides a very high speed solution but in order to balance that out they also use, uh, you know, Amazon uh, S3 uh, to provide both cost efficiency as well as durability for those solutions. So with this solution specifically, it's designed very much around performance. Uh, you know, it, it's a scale-out architecture. So it's basically you have uh, various nodes that you can add. You can start with six nodes, but it's been tested on AWS to go up to 240 nodes. Um, And you get linear performance at scale. So this is important because you can, you know, if you're building a SaaS solution, you want to be able to judge how many users can use that solution when you're deploying it, right? So you, if you have linear performance, you could say, okay, if this level of performance meets, you know, 100 users, then if I, Times that by 10. If I have 10 times as many nodes, well then I'm going to be able to handle a thousand users on my platform, right? So having that linear performance really helps. And you know, just um, you know, to give you an idea of the performance uh, that they're able to get, uh, you know, they recently uh, did a um, a benchmark test. That's a industry recognized benchmark test, which is the IO 500 test. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it. It's big in the HPC community. Uh, where they test different file systems for, uh, you know, both throughput and metadata performance, um, and uh, this was at you know Supercomputing '19, which is a big uh, uh, high-performance computing uh, uh, trade show, and uh, Weka won uh, the number one place on AWS. So a lot of the other um, uh, uh, other uh, vendors that were participating in that uh, use you know very huge. You know, on-premises clusters. Uh, This this was the, I believe the the only or uh, one of the only uh, participants that ran on uh, on AWS, and they won the number one spot uh, for performance. Uh, And that was actually using the new i3en instances that support up to 100 gigabytes of uh, network throughput uh, on them on per instance. Uh, So the key to this is also you can actually size it uh, to match both performance and capacity. So you can uh, have you know larger amounts of capacity on S3 or larger amounts of if you need more performance you can scale up the nodes to have more performance tier so you can really independently scale the performance and the capacity. So let's take a quick look at what the architecture looks like. It's a fairly simple architecture. Again um, you know they run uh, on the instance types that provide uh, instance storage. Not every instance type has instance storage. Uh, so you can see here they're running on the I3 instance type. And you basically create a cluster of, you know, again, six uh, nodes up to, you know, as many nodes as you need, but there's been tested up to 240 nodes on AWS. You can also build multiple clusters as uh, as your needs are. Um, uh, for your SaaS solution exist, and then you would have your uh, your clients that can access the Weka cluster. Uh, some of the key features that are part of this that can uh, help with your solution is they offer snapshotting to S3. What that means is essentially you can take a point in time of the cluster, send that data with all the associated metadata down to Amazon S3 and then you can even shut down the cluster and be able to bring it back up to that point in time. So let's say you have a SAS solution that only has activity at certain times of the day, for instance, right? Um, you can potentially have that compute only running uh, you know, at that time, snapshot to S3, uh, you know, and, and, uh, and bring that, that uh, back up as needed. You can also use that feature to snapshot your data S3, then use cross-region replication, uh, and send that data to an S3 bucket that exists in another, um, another region, and then be able to mount that volume on a Weka cluster that you spin up, uh, whether it's you know, just in time for DR, to do processing in another region, or to make that data available somewhere else. So without having to build all that functionality yourself, uh, you know, into there figuring out how to you know spread the data across multiple nodes, how to get that performance. Uh, you're able to do that right in here, and they also offer a parallel client for uh, your Linux instances. So what this means is you can load a client on your instances uh, that gives you a full POSIX um, uh, file system. And, you know, it handles the parallel connections to all the different nodes, uh, which enables you to get very high uh, per node uh, throughput. So if you're doing something where you're using like GPU nodes, for instance, and you need to get, you know, a high single stream performance, this enables you to get parallel performance by using all the nodes in the cluster to a single client. Um, They also support SMB and NFS, uh, as well as, as I mentioned, you know, tearing down to S3. So that's a, you know again a good solution if you need high performance if you need uh, you know uh, SMB NFS you know you need those file protocols uh, but what if you need block storage right sometimes you need uh, to have block storage and you you need some of those features uh, so uh, pure cloud block store is a recent a fairly recent solution uh, it was uh, made GA back in uh, in September. Um, This uses a scale up architecture as opposed to, you know, the last solution that we looked at, which was Weka uses a scale out architecture, which means that you add a bunch of nodes. In this, it's a kind of more of a scale up architecture where you have, you know, two nodes that are the primary uh, controllers similar to a on-premises storage uh, array. If you guys are familiar with on-premises, Pure makes... Uh, storage arrays on-premises and data centers, Uh, similar kind of concept here, right, where they have two nodes that are the controller nodes in a scale-up architecture. So you basically, if you want more performance, you make those nodes uh, to uh, higher instance types. Uh, So they combine, again, instance storage, uh, Amazon S3, and in this case, they also use uh, Amazon DynamoDB to handle some of the metadata. Right, uh, You can deploy this solution in a uh, multi-AZ, high availability configuration, um, and um, you, it provides you know, native block storage, so um, it, it uses iSCSI, and basically you can connect it to your instances via iSCSI for your data volumes, uh, and it supports uh, synchronous replication across availability zones. So let's take a quick look at that architecture. So again, as I mentioned, you have your two controllers. And then you have what's uh, called like a data group, or they call it a, a disk shelf, which is essentially a series of those i3 instances that provide that instance storage. And uh, what they do is they create those into kind of virtual disks that are associated to those, uh, those controllers. Uh, they, then they send that data down to, uh, to Amazon S3. Um, you know, for durability purposes, but all the kind of reading and the read cache all happens through those really, really fast uh, instant storage volumes, so you're able to get very, very high performance. Uh, they have a lot of enterprise features that um, uh, you might be used to or aware of, like instant snapshots. Um, you know, always-on encryption, thin provisioning, uh, deduplication. Which again, for a SaaS solution, you know, if you're having you know multiple customers running on there, you may have you know similar data sets, right? You may have uh, you know a data set that you provide on your instances that uh, you know maybe is a golden copy and the same across you know 10, 20, 50 instances, right? Uh, so, if you're deploying in this scenario, if you have you know one terabyte volume that is is handed out to 20 instances, um, you know you don't have to uh, use 20 terabytes of actual storage, right? Because with the deduplication, uh, you know that's functionally becomes you know one terabyte or close to that. It's going to manage you know just the changes, right? Um, so you're able to do that, and you're able to use uh, cloning and other features like that to create. You know, additional environments. So, what, is the, what does it kind of look like with the, um, you know, uh, with replication across uh, availability zones? Uh, so, you know, you could see again, we have, you know, the full uh, array that exists in uh, a single availability zone, and then they have a feature called Active Cluster. And so, what this does is it handles uh, actual synchronous replication. Between those uh, those two arrays that exist in different availability zones, uh, so that means that you, you essentially are turning the service into a, uh, a regional service, right? Because now if you have you know customers on your SaaS solution that um, you know uh, that uses block store or uses cloud block store here, uh, even if an availability zone goes away you're still protected uh, from that data without having to, again, build your own uh, replication or your own uh, functionality, right? You don't have to figure out how to do deduplication, how to to make that uh, synchronous replication happen. Now, in the same kind of um, uh, setup, you can also set it up for uh, asynchronous replication across availability zones, right? So you can actually, uh, I'm sorry, not cross availability zones, but across regions rather. Uh, so again, if you wanted to take this same service and you wanted to make it uh, you know uh, regional and, uh, or, or global in nature, um, you could take that same uh, service and just enable asynchronous replication to another region. and then you have you know availability there. They also have a feature if you don't want to necessarily or need to have another entire uh, array there, they have a feature called Cloud Snap, where you can send just a copy of snapshots to uh, Amazon S3, and then you can have them available in another region, and then you can bring those on a pure array just in time, right? So if you were using it for like disaster recovery, for example, and you didn't need uh, you know as fast of a RTO, uh, you could just send that data down to S3 with the snapshots and all the related uh, metadata and uh, then be able to spin up a uh, pure uh, cloud block store array, uh, you know, just when that DR event should happen um, and, and then be able to re- return the data. So it's important to like understand, you know, for your SaaS solution, what is the recoverability requirements by the customer? What's the customer expecting? Uh, you know, so if they're expecting 100% uptime from you guys or you're providing a very high SLA, you may want to have an array in multiple uh, regions, up and running all the time. If, if based on the nature of your application, if you're doing something that's more in the in the background, and uh, you know you're not necessarily needing to be up all the time, uh, but you want to be able to recover in the case of a uh, global disaster, you may use something like a Cloud Snap feature that will send that to S3, and then you can recover it uh, and not have that cost of the running EC2 all the time now another popular deployment methodology in sas is kind of a more of a pod architecture right where you may have a users or a group of users that are separated into you know uh, a kind of pod so that you're having these smaller uh, kind of footprint environments, and each time you deploy the next 10 users, the next 100 users, whatever it is, you deploy a new pod, right, of your application. So it's kind of a new instantiation of your uh, SaaS application under the covers, right? Um, so, uh, you know, one solution that uh, that works nicely with, uh, you know, kind of pod architecture because because the requirements are kind of a bit smaller in terms of running it uh, versus something like a cloud block store. Um, you know, is uh, Netapp cloud volumes on tap, or otherwise known as uh, CVO. So this again, similar to Cloud Block Store, is a uh, scale up architecture. Uh, so again, it's using you know, two nodes and it uses uh, Amazon EBS uh, you know, onto the covers as well as Amazon S3. It can, in certain cases use uh, EC2 Instance Store as well as part of a uh, caching mechanism. Uh, but, you know, most deployment models, this is using uh, Amazon EBS uh, for the uh, primary storage layer. Uh, so this uh, can be deployed in a single cluster or a single, um, you know, pod as, as in multi-AZ configuration. So you have, you know, the two nodes that are your controller nodes. You can have them in different availability zones. So the same cluster is by nature in different availability zones with just two single nodes so you don't have to have you know a whole larger uh... implementation um, you know it provides the same you know native um, you know uh... block storage so you know it provides through iSCSI. It can also provide um, you know file storage so it provides smb and nfs so it combines both block and uh... file storage solutions uh... together it also has its own uh, native replication that's part of the solution so you can replicate um, you know, for those familiar with NetApp on-premises, you can replicate between uh, your NetApp arrays on-premises. You can replicate between your uh, NetApp arrays that exist in different availability zones. You can replicate between your NetApp arrays that exist uh, in different regions, right? So you get all of those, uh, those options. You can deploy it as a, uh, a zonal service, uh, which is generally not recommended, but, um, you know, you can deploy it as a, Uh, a regional service, you know, to have multiple availability zone uh, configuration, or you can deploy it globally and have arrays that exist in different uh, regions that you're replicating to. And this starts, you know, as low as uh, two terabytes for the minimal configuration. So again, if you're building a smaller Uh, configuration. Uh, You can have this as small as two terabytes. and It goes all the way up to 368 terabytes uh, per uh, cluster, right? So you could build your pod architecture to kind of fit within those parameters. So if you have, you know, a kind of smaller solution or smaller in terms of the amount of data that needs to be stored in a particular pod, you can make these really, really small, or you can pump these up, you know, to have, you know, uh, you know, petabytes of, of data if you, ha- if you deploy multiple of these uh, configurations. So, you know, it's 368 terabytes per cluster, which is essentially per two of those nodes. Uh, and you can deploy, you know, as many as you want within your, uh, your SaaS solution. So let's take a quick look at that architecture. Uh, so as you can see here, uh, the two nodes on your, uh, your left and your right there uh, are within two different availability zones. Uh, you can run them on uh, M5 instances and again you can see the EBS volumes that are attached to each of those nodes Uh, so what they do in the multi-availability zone configuration is they actually have internal synchronous replication that happens uh, between the uh, the two nodes there so you get actual copy your data on on EBS on the uh, the first node and then copy your data on EBS on the second node uh, then there's a mediator that kind of monitors, uh, that's in a separate availability zone. That kind of monitors the two nodes and can handle failover, right? So if you have an event where, uh, you know, one availability zone went away, or just even one, uh, you know, the node in that availability zone went away or was unavailable for whatever reason, the mediator would be able to detect that and fail over to the uh, to the other node, and uh, it it does this kind of with. Um, uh, with routing in terms of the IP addresses, there's a private IP that gets assigned that could float between uh, between each of the nodes. So when the mediator detects that a node is unavailable, uh, it's able to switch that routing in the routing table to point that IP to the uh, to the to the other node. So your clients automatically will send the traffic to uh, to that other node. And then there's a cloud manager that. Essentially, um, you know, lets you manage that whole environment, provides like a graphical interface so you can manage not only, uh, you know, one cluster, but, you know, multiple clusters, right, throughout your environment. So you really only need one cloud manager and you can have, you know, 50 clusters that are part of that cloud manager. Uh, So again, this gives you things like, you know, instant snapshots. It gives you uh, clones. Uh, it gives you multi-protocol support, as I mentioned, SMB, NFS, uh, but you can also even have both of them combined on singular volume, uh, as well as uh, multi-availability zone uh, failover. So, now what if you want to take it kind of a step further? What if you want to say, hey, you know, that's great, I can fail over. I can uh, failover between availability zones on my data layer, but maybe you have an application that also needs to fail over with uh, your data, right? Uh so uh there's a solution uh called uh, Veritas InfoScale. And so InfoScale provides not only um, uh you know shared storage uh that handles um, you know failure on the uh storage layer, but it actually allows you to build a cluster that handles failover of an application as well. So you can build an application on this like maybe you have Um, you know, various different, you know, mission-critical applications as part of your SaaS solution that you want to be able to fail over either to a different availability zone, uh, to a different uh, region. Uh, All you have to do is deploy InfoScale on those systems. It works in kind of like a... Uh, Hyper converged way, so you can run your application on the same nodes that you have the Infoscale application running, and you have it as part of your uh, storage cluster. Uh, it's able to use uh, EBS volumes as well as instant storage for caching, and uh, and Amazon S3 to provide uh, you know additional storage and to provide durability. Um, so you can scale the compute and the storage independently. Um, you know this is kind of a uh, scale out architecture again similar to what we looked at you know with with uh Weka, right? Where it's not a scale up, you can essentially add multiple nodes to a cluster. Uh so this can uh you know scale to large amounts of uh nodes in an individual cluster depending on your SAS solution again you may uh need to scale individual clusters more or you may need to build more clusters, right? It's kind of up to you. It's flexible in 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 that sense, right? So if you need to separate out customers in different ways or provide different security boundaries right you can do that within uh, you know a cluster or within a uh, kinda of group of clusters uh, and then you can kind of you know again it's very flexible in terms of uh, you know if you need more performance you need more capacity uh, you can kind of adjust the clusters to kinda of meet those those uh, different needs and it can handle the actual failover, as I mentioned, of the application. So it has, you know, ways where you can tell it like how your application uh, needs to failover, whether that's handling, you know, IP address failovers, or uh, you know, or making, uh, you know, changes in, and uh, running certain processes, or stopping and starting certain processes as part of a failover activity for your application. Um, you know, so they've been very big in applications like SAP, for example um you know sap is run on uh, on infoscale with many enterprise customers where they kind of program it to you know be able to fail over you know sap from one location to another so as i mentioned uh you can kind of have you know global disaster recovery or global presence with this so you can have an infoscale cluster that's running uh you know in one region uh you know size to whatever you need for that particular region then you can have a Uh, InfoScale cluster running in another region and you can have InfoScale handle that replication for you, right? So you can build a very customized, um, you know, solution in terms of uh, performance, in terms of capacity, you know, for each of your kind of regions and then determine where you want those to to have your uh, disaster recovery, whether that's, um, you know, from U.S. East to U.S. West or, uh, you know, even across the globe, you know, so uh, you can have it no matter what the uh, kind of uh, distance is. Now, depending on how you build out your SaaS solution, uh, you might have you know multiple VPCs, uh, you know, as part of your SaaS solution, uh, or multiple accounts even as part of your SaaS solution. And now storage, uh, you may want to have in a core account, or you may want to make that available to you know, multiple resource accounts, right? So you may have, you know, some of your compute running in one account and then your storage running in, you know, that core account. Um, So, uh, you know, one of the ways that you can kind of uh, address that type of scenario is by using uh, AWS Transit Gateway. Now, Transit Gateway is a service that was... Uh, released a, a while ago by uh, you know at aws and uh, it's starting to be used by some of these uh, storage partners uh, NetApp, for instance has uh, prescriptive guidance around how to use transit gateway as part of uh, as part of your solution uh, so in terms of transit gateway what it'll do is it'll allow that routing uh, from your storage solutions if whether you're using private ips um, you know uh, to other aws accounts or even to um, you know, various uh, you know other regions or other locations where you're going to have those accounts, you can tie them all into a uh, transit gateway service, and you can have it uh, be able to handle the routing between these uh, these various accounts and to get to your storage solution. So you may have your your again your clients or your application running in uh, in one VPC or in one uh, account, and your storage running in another in transit gateway. Uh, you can configure it to route that uh, that traffic to your now um, there's another solution the kind of the last solution that I'm going to be talking about today um, is a solution that um, provides uh, zero RPO at any distance right And you know in case everyone's not familiar in the room RPO is uh, recovery point uh, objective uh, so this is you know the point in time in which um, you can recover your data, right? So kind of a zero RPO means you can kind of recover your data immediately. You don't have any data loss uh, within a, a given solution, right? Which, as you think of like as a SaaS solution, that's kind of important, right? Because not just your data, it's your customers' data, right that you're providing. So, um, you know, it's hard to go to every customer and say, okay, what's your RPO, what's your RPO, <laughs> what's your RPO, right? Uh, so having an RPO of zero means essentially you're not going to lose data, right? So that's, uh, that's kind of really uh, important and critical in a, uh, a SaaS solution. Uh, so this is kind of a new solution. It's actually uh, pre-GA, so it's uh, scheduled to be generally available by the end of the year, uh, but it's uh, not currently uh, generally available. Um, but it combines, you know, uh, Amazon EBS and, uh, and EC2 and it um, provides, you know, zero RPO, as I mentioned, across regions, regardless of the, uh, the distance, right? So uh, you're able to access uh, this as block storage uh, provided by iSCSI. And there's kind of a one-to-one mapping between a, what they have as a virtual volume and an actual EBS volume. Why this is important is you can essentially access that EBS volume even outside of this solution. So if you're using this solution, um, you know to provide a. Um, and, and uh, your data to, to use your data and provide that zero RPO if for whatever reason you know you stop using the solution or you know you want to go around uh, the solution you can actually take those EBS volumes and you can mount them directly to your uh, your ec2 instances now you won't get the zero RPO once you do that right that you know replication will uh, you know will stop but you'll still have access to those volumes regardless of the um, The solution or not. Um, So, how this does this? We'll take a look at it. Essentially, sorry, it essentially um, writes uh, you know synchronously uh, to a second availability zone, and then writes you know asynchronously to uh, the other locations. So, let's take a quick look at what this looks like. Uh, So, this is um, you know essentially the setup. Where you have your app server in the uh, you know in the first availability zone, um, and then you have um, you know edge devices is what is what they call them that run on EC2, um, and they mount to an EBS volume, right? They then provide you an iSCSI volume uh, to your app server, and when you write uh, to a um, you know to an edge server, it's essentially going to uh, as part of the, that write do a synchronous write to a uh, service that exists in the replix sas account right so they're going to when you configure this volume uh for replix it's going to deploy um you know a node or have a node available in a separate availability zone than where, where you're running uh you know the ec2 instance because remember i mentioned that ec2 and ebs exists within a single uh you know availability zone uh so when you deploy this, you know your edge server and your app server and your EBS volume are going to be in a specific availability zone. Uh, then Replix is going to have a node that exists in a separate availability zone. So when you do that initial write, it's going to write to that, um, that node that exists in that one availability zone and to a Replix node within their SaaS solution that exists in another availability zone. So immediately, as soon as that write is committed, you're protected across availability zone failure uh, immediately. Um, now that same write at that time is, so you're going to get the response back to the client. That's going to be the synchronous part. So once you get that response back that the write has happened, uh, you're uh, protected against that instance failing, right? Because you have the, uh, the data um, on that second node. Now, as soon as that happens, uh, they're going to start a asynchronous uh, you know replication, of that data or pushed to that data to a node uh, that exists within their solution or through their replix network as part of their SaaS their sas solution to other nodes that are you know closer to um where the target node is right and this is how they're able to actually do it across any kind of distance right because what they're doing is they're first protecting that data uh you know locally Uh, against availability zone failure, and then they're starting to move that data to closer and closer nodes till you get towards your end node, wherever that may be. So if you have your one node in US East and your other node, you know, all the way in Tokyo or Singapore, right, Um, you know, that's a long distance, right? Or even, you know, something like Sydney, where it might be, you know, 200 milliseconds away, right? Uh, you know, normally replication is going to take a while to happen to that. So if you have a one-to-one relationship, um, you know, it, it's difficult to get that level of, uh, of replication. Uh, so they're going to have it go through their, uh, their network within their SaaS solution. And it's going to then ultimately write to another, um, you know, edge node that exists in that second region. So it's gonna be available within that second region. So even if your entire application goes down or the availability zone that your application is, in, is going down, once that write happens, it's available within the replix network. And you know, that point in time is gonna be available to you at that final location. There may be a replication lag, right? Cause it's only the speed of light. That can happen, but that point in time is going to be there. You're not going to have lost data, right? You may have a delay till you can bring up that data in the second uh, location, which you can see on their dashboard what the replication lag is between those uh, locations. But you're not going to have lost data, so it's going to ultimately get rid into that second location. So, uh, just going to wrap up with a you know quick summary and a few uh, a few next steps. Uh, I'm also going to be, you know, available, um, you know, after the session for, uh, you know, for for questions. I've left a few minutes here at the end so you can come up and and, uh, and ask questions. Uh, we don't have a mic to go around, but we just, you know, come up and ask questions after the session. Um, so quick, uh, quick summary, uh, you know, you want to find the right balance with your storage solution, right? That's why I mentioned right at the end, that's the theme throughout there. You want to find the balance, right? It's not just about, you know, one storage solution is going to solve all your problems, right? You want to find the right storage solution that's going to provide the right balance, depending on what your SaaS application is, right? Uh, that's something you want to kind of look at, and you want to work with your uh, your SA or PSA to kind of help you with that. Um, you know, always use the well-architected framework as your kind of guiding principles when picking a solution and through your app entirely, right? Always make sure you're kind of following that principle. Um, you know, use the kind of right storage solution depending on the type of availability that you need. If you need regional availability, if you need um, you know, global availability, make sure that you can use that architecture. We kind of looked at you know, a few different uh, architectures that can either be regional or global in nature. So when you're building your SaaS solution, you, you don't want your SaaS solution in general to be just zonal in nature, right? You don't want to be able to have your SaaS solution go down if you lose an availability zone, right? You want to build for failure. Um, so uh, building a global or a uh, you know regional service gives you much better confidence uh, to your customers to provide them you know an SLA or other things that they may need as part of your SaaS solution, right? Um, you know, and lastly, you want to uh, you know provide a solution that's going to handle you know scale, performance, cost um you know the access method you need we talked about block we talked about you know file protocols like smb like nfs um and availability that matches your design right so again it comes down to the application not every application is going to need to be able to withstand you know global failure maybe or not every applications need to be you know 100 up it's it really comes down to what uh matches your uh your particular SAS application's needs. A lot of these principles are the same across different applications, uh but you know it's really for you to kind of dive deep and I just wanted to kind of give you you know an, an overview of some of those ways and some of those methodologies to do it. But you really got to look at your particular application to understand what is really needed for that application. So on that front um, AWS has uh, something called the SaaS Factory. Uh, if you guys haven't heard of it, um, you know, talk to your uh, your PDMs, your account managers, your your SAs about it. It's a you know a great way to um, you know help your uh, your SaaS solution help uh, make sure you're building your SaaS solution on all layers and all aspects, uh, you know, the, the right way or the best thing that's going to meet your business objectives. Um, So I I definitely highly recommend you guys check out uh, the SAS factory. Uh, We also have uh, the partners that we mentioned today, um, you know, uh, are right there on the uh, slide if you you guys want to take a look at those or take a deeper dive into any of those uh, those partners. Um, you know your your sa or account manager should be able to kind of help you get in touch with the, those partners if that's uh something you're looking to uh do uh we also have a storage competency uh partner page uh that you can go and check out and you can see other uh storage partners that have achieved our competency and what competency is if you guys aren't familiar with it it's uh something where we look at kind of the partners that have successfully deployed solutions based on not only our well-architected principles, but also have proven success with customers, right? Uh, so these are kind of the um, you know the highest standards that we look at in terms of uh, partners. So check out our, the storage competency page, uh, as well as uh, check out the AWS Marketplace. So there's a uh, storage category within the AWS Marketplace uh, where you can go and you can uh, get different uh, partner solutions that can be deployed to your account, uh, or deployed as uh, as SaaS. Um, you know, it's a great way to be able to you know test out these various solutions. So that's a great thing about you know deploying things on AWS, right? Is you can generally try them out, right? You only um, you know generally get charged for uh, for what you're using. So you can go and deploy the solutions, try them out, see if it actually meets the needs for your particular SaaS application. Uh, With that, I want to thank everyone for uh, coming. And please, uh, you know, remember to complete your survey for the session. We always appreciate your feedback. Thank you very much.